invite you to take your Bible and turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Been in a series in the Heidelberg Catechism going through the Ten Commandments. And we've been very conscious and very intentional about placing those commandments within the context of God's covenant. God does not establish a relationship with us by first demanding of us, or he doesn't first begin a relationship with us by requiring of us anything. The commandments do not commence this relationship, but rather God's grace begins this relationship. God redeems his people. He takes them out of their sin and their misery. He's taken you out of your sin and your misery, and as such, he now calls you to walk in his ways. As you live in relationship to God in the first four commandments, and as you walk in the ways that you owe your neighbor in the uh, commandments five through ten. And last week, we began with the fifth commandment, how we are to honor our father and our mother. And we said that the second table of God's law begins here because it begins with a certain posture of humility. I am not the highest authority. I am one under authority. And from there, recognizing that I am under God and under those whom God has placed over me, I am then called to walk in love towards my neighbor and giving to him what I owe him, as the catechism helpfully puts it. Not thinking what I am owed, but ultimately what I owe my neighbor. And here now in the sixth commandment, we see um, that we owe our neighbor not only not to injure them or hurt them or to murder them, but positively to love them, to protect them, uh, to sacrifice for them. And so these are the things that will come out as we think about the sixth commandment. We're going to do so from Matthew chapter 9 as Jesus raises this young girl from the dead, and we'll speak about how this relates to the sixth commandment. So Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 18, it says, The holy and inspired word of God. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. So far from God's holy word. We're going to turn in the back of our hymnals to the catechism, to Lord's Day 40. You should find that on page 891. I'll read the questions and we'll respond together. These questions are opening up for us the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. So question 105, what is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. 
I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? No. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. So far from God's, up from our catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does Jesus' miracle of raising this girl from the dead have to do with the sixth commandment? And to get at that answer, to the answer to that question, I want us to ask a pre, uh, an earlier question or a prior question. Why does Jesus perform miracles at all? What are the purposes of Jesus' miracles? Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' miracles are presented primarily as a way of authenticating his message. Jesus comes as the Son of God, and he comes bringing salvation, and he comes bringing new life or a new birth. And the signs that Jesus performs in John's gospel are primarily emphasized to authenticate Jesus' message, to guarantee its truth that Jesus indeed is speaking and is one who has come from the Father. While that's the emphasis in John, we find a slightly different emphasis in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, um, there Jesus' miracles are tied to and tethered to him bringing the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus' miracles then, as he performs them in the gospels, not only authenticate his message and his person and his work, but they also are manifestations of a new power that is broken in to the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of Satan. Jesus' miracles are a manifestation of a new kingdom that has come, a kingdom that brings restoration, a kingdom that brings hope, a a kingdom that brings a new creation, a kingdom that brings life. You see, into a kingdom marked by death, as sin came to reign, as we'll see in a moment, death not only around us, but even in our own hearts, Jesus comes preaching the power of a new kingdom to you. Jesus preaches the kingdom where there is not, that does not have death reigning, but life reigning. And so Jesus commands, rather Jesus bringing the kingdom, provides the context for us to understand the true weight of the sixth commandment. You shall not murder So we're going to see murder is at the heart of the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus comes preaching a kingdom with a new power, a power of life. And so when we think about Jesus raising the dead, we see Jesus raising this little girl who had died. And his father beseeches Jesus to come and to restore her to life. Jesus performs this wonderful miracle Of life, and in so doing, he reveals to us the power of his kingdom. 
And we as God's people, as participants in that kingdom, as we've come to trust in Christ, are then called to be a people who love life and who seek the betterment of the world and ultimately seek not to hurt and destroy and to murder, but to build up, to love, as we're going to see. And the power to do so comes from Christ our King in bringing this kingdom. So three points we want to think about. First, a reign of death, to get some of the background context. A reign of life. And then thirdly, we'll think through some implications, though we'll kind of draw them out along the way as well. So first, a reign of death. As I said just a moment ago, Jesus comes and performs these miracles to uh, signify that a new kingdom has broken in. It's intruded, it's invaded into uh, Satan's domain. And Satan's domain was one marked by death from the very beginning when man fell. We see this uh, promised um, or threatened by God in Genesis chapter 2 when he had commanded the man and the woman not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he gives this um, warning. He says, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Apostle Paul, reflecting upon that, says this in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. He says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. Death reigned. That, that is the, the, the defining characteristic, the mark of the kingdom of Satan, one of death, death around us, and death, as we're going to see also, in our own hearts. Death around us. We see this even today. Not This isn't an ancient idea. This is a very relevant idea. We see a a, a society more and more infatuated and in love with death because they hate the Lord of life. A a, a society around us that loves death. Just this past week, uh, my sister who uh, works for, uh, well, she used to work for uh, the school, public school, uh, received this um, announcement that went out to, I guess, all the New York City uh, teachers and unions um, regarding New York City health plus offering abortion care, abortion care through our virtual express care telehealth service seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And what this service is offering to a society and to a city in love with death is abortion not only on demand in the sense you can go and get it, but abortion at the most convenient way possible. You can call and they will mail you abortion pills. They will mail you, and by the way, According to the city, you have to be at least 15 years old to call. How sick. In God's sight, how abominable in the sight of God. But this is the kingdom of Satan. This is the darkness. This is a culture in love with death. And Jesus comes, as we're going to see, preaching a kingdom of life, inviting those in the, from such a life into forgiveness, into new life. But this is the defining mark. We saw this in our own 
political landscape, right? The elections that recently came about. Abortion is the defining issue. People will go out out of their way to ensure that this so-called right is maintained in this country. This is a culture in love with death. Euthanasia on the rise, assisted suicide on the rise. This is a culture around us that loves death. But more than just recognizing, and we can say so much more about these things, but more than just recognizing it around us, the Catechism also reminds us that this commandment doesn't just um, 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 condemn those who commit such things around us, but also presses in to our own hearts. Also comes in to see that the kingdom of darkness is not just around us, but it's penetrated to our own hearts, so that within our own hearts there is a love for murder, a love for death, apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And the Catechism speaks of these well as disguised forms of murder. Disguised because they're not acted upon, they're not visible, but they are such things as envy, such things as hatred, anger, vengefulness, And the basic impulse, though they may not be physically acted upon, the basic impulse of such things is simply the idea, and this may sound extreme, but I think it is actually the basic desire that these, that envy and hatred and anger and vengefulness express, and it's this, that it would be better for me if they were dead. Envy would be better for me if they were dead. What they have and what I want, if they were out of the way, it would be mine. Hatred, if they were gone, if they were not here, they did not exist, well then life would be better. Anger, they bothered me, they ought to be destroyed. Vengefulness in the same regard as well, right? It would be better for me if they were dead. And that's what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. That's not just a matter of physically killing somebody, but even being angry with your brother, all of these things, just, you know, why do we speak about the, all of this? It's to remind us of the power of the reign of death in the kingdom of Satan. And these things, again, are with us today, and they've been with the world since the fall. And these things, as we experience them all around us, even not only even evil things, but, well, this would be an evil thing as well, but even the breaking down of our own bodies, like this little girl who Jesus came to see, we die and death is around us. And into this environment, into this darkness, into this reign of death, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, enters. That's what we need to see here. We, We want to highlight the darkness around us to understand the power and the wonder of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, taking on our flesh to come and meet with us in this darkness and to come and meet with us under a reign of death, taking on our flesh, making himself susceptible in his humanity to die, to suffer, to experience the pains of such a kingdom. And into that kingdom, Jesus not only comes to sympathize with us, but he comes to make things new. He brings with him a new power. And this is, as we said before, the wonder of the miracles that Jesus 
accomplishes. They're not just authenticating, but they're a sign of saying a new kingdom has come. The reign of death is over. And it will not be final for God's people. Jesus comes and this girl who had come under the reign of death had entered the grave. Jesus comes and raises her to new life to signify that his kingdom is not one of death, but of life. And those of his kingdom who come into that kingdom go from having death in their hearts to life and loving it, loving life in in him. Jesus is then showing us that death has been defeated and this miracle then becomes a sort of foretaste of his resurrection from the dead. That he raises this girl to show that he has the power over death. He shows by doing this that when he goes to the cross and it's he who offers up his life, death doesn't have power over him, but it's he who lays down his life. And it's he then who will receive new life from his father as he does on the third day. Who now reigns never to die again. Who reigns over an eternal kingdom that will not fade in glory. A kingdom in which he brings a people to have eternal life. And such people, Jesus says to, such people as you sitting here who have come to become participants and members and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus simply says, you shall not murder. Because this is not the way of God's kingdom. So it's the way of the old kingdom. It's the way of the kingdom that he has taken you from. But now you shall not murder as the people of God. And instead, you should love your neighbor as yourself. You should love life You should love the things and the people that are around you. And this love is meant to be expressed just in physical acts. In the same way murder is forbidden in its physical acts, so too we ought to care for those in need. To love those who are hurting. To love those who are downcast, oppressed. To love those who are in great need. And therefore, this commandment then doesn't simply tell us to avoid things, but as the catechism wisely opens up for us, to then go out and do, to serve, to love, and to meet the bodily needs of those around us. Some of us were able to go um, to fill the boxes of love and to hand out to those in need for this uh, holiday season. There's other acts of kindness and love that we can do as well. These are the things that Christ calls us to do as citizens of his kingdom in which there is the reign of life. But not only in physical acts, but really as we enter into the kingdom of Christ, our own hearts are changed. We had said previously that the kingdom of darkness not only was around us when we were apart from Christ, but it was in us. And it defined our hearts with envy and hatred and anger and vengefulness. But those things now they put away. They don't belong to the kingdom that Jesus has brought. And instead, what ought to mark us are things like patience, peace-loving, being gentle, being merciful, being friendly, protecting others from harm as much as we can, and doing good even to our neighbors. It's this that is the fulfillment of God's law. It's this that is the way of God's kingdom 
and the way of life in him. And so, brothers and sisters, then, let us pursue such things as citizens of the kingdom that Jesus has brought. Rather than being uh, those who rage and fall, go, run into anger, let us be patient and peace-loving. Let us seek to do good, even to those who may harm us. And let us then show that truly the one who raises the dead is our king. That the one who raises the dead is our head. That Jesus Christ is the one to whom we belong. And where we fall into those old patterns of the old kingdom that we once belonged to, let us repent of such things. And let us look to the cross and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a testimony of God that he loves his creation and that he is bringing about a new creation in which all things will be restored. Now, yes, our work today in this world does not bring about the new creation. Uh, The work that we engage in today does not slowly bring the creation to its glorification when Christ comes again. But all that we do in love for um, the world, for man, for our brothers and sisters, for our neighbors, all of it is meant as an expression and a sign of our hope that God is making all things new. That God is indeed taking this world fallen under the reign of death and he is raising it to new life. The Apostle Paul says so much in Romans 9, just to read some verses there, or rather Romans 8. In Romans 8, Paul talks about the raising of this creation that God is accomplishing and has begun in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in Romans 8, Paul says there, that I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, a cosmic term here, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. So as we wait for this with patience, as we wait for the revealing of the sons of God, as we appear with Christ raised bodily to be made like him, as we wait for that day, let us then walk in love. Let us walk in love as Christ has loved us and as God has shown his love for this world that he gave his only begotten son. With that comes a new creation. And therefore, our work today may not itself bring about the new creation. The things that we engage in are not permanent, they're not forever. But they are indeed expressions of this very hope that we have. Not just for our souls, but for our bodies. And not just for our bodies, but for the world. 
as Jesus will come and raise it to new life as he raises even his people to new life. This is the miracle of life. This is the miracle that Jesus performs. And as those then who believe upon him, let us walk in his ways. We may not raise the dead, but we are to walk in the one who does raise, in the ways of the one who does raise the dead. And his way is a way of love, loving those around us, loving our neighbors, loving our enemies. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're called to walk in. Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the fullness of time you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Father, we thank you that he endured the full curse of the law to the point of death, even death on a cross for us. There he hung, there he died in our place, condemned. And yet, Father, as you are the God, not of the dead, but of the living, you raised him on the third day, never to die again. He holds in his hands today the the keys of death and Hades. And Father, thank you that we have come to to be transferred into his kingdom, to be drawn from a kingdom that's reign is death around and within, to now being brought into a kingdom of life also around and within. And so, Father, may we then walk as your people in the midst of a city that loves death. May we walk as a people who love life because we love the giver of life. We love the living God. We love you. And so, Father, may we then be marked by such things. And may your word and your law then be sweet to us as it comes to us in Christ who has saved us and has given us new life. We pray this in his name. Amen.